One year, I kind of got an idea, you know, I want to try trap. I like to trap, I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money hand over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the furball. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Representing trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Perfect and Game magazine. There's structure from Perigo Gorman. Perg Lennon's articles, the Perg Lennon's ads. Information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because work it ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got very much the same as the you got bogged down. They started talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down top. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't know, get them better. Trying to set predator traps and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like it gets sheared. You better edit this part out. Yeah, we better. Back in the fur shed. This is the Trapping Today podcast. I am Jeremiah Wood, your host. Great to be here. We're brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z. BROS.com. Trap smarter, work harder. Enjoy the success that follows. Kyle and Kellen Cotts have a trapping supply company out of Savannah, Illinois. Those guys will hook you up. Great guys, great service. Get your lures and baits, your traps, your books and DVDs, everything you need to get started on the trap line. Brought to you by Fur Harvesters Auction, where the world comes to buy wild fur. Got an update coming up very shortly from Fur Harvesters. They are innovative. They're making changes, adapting, and doing what they can to sell our fur for the best price possible and try to set the market for wild fur in these tough times. And we're brought to you by OnX Maps. Turn your phone into a fully functioning GPS. You can track your movements, mark waypoints, mark trap locations, and figure out whose land you are trapping on. Uh, they got all the landowner information. They've got the aerial imagery. Uh, updated aerial imagery as of late. You can go to onxmaps.com. Nathan, uh, who we're going to interview tonight, uh, uses this. I use it. A lot of other trappers use it on the trap line. So uh, if you're not using Onyx, you are missing out. you got to go check it out, onxmaps.com. And with your first purchase, you can enter the promo code TRAP, T-R-A-P, to get 20% off, and it helps support trapping today. So thanks very much, and uh, let's get into it. All right, the first thing I want to talk about tonight is an update from Fur Harvesters. So we are all kind of on our uh, on pins and needles trying to figure out what the heck's going on in the fur market. Uh, everything points to low fur prices, but we really don't know what's going on because we've had this uh, you know th- this this low price environment for fur. We've got super low oil prices. Russia and China aren't doing very well economically. They haven't been for a couple of years. And then we get this coronavirus thrown on top of it. So everything is just thrown out the window in terms of, you know, supply and demand and what, you know, the, people can't even get to an auction to buy fur even if they want to. So it, it's been very difficult and fur harvesters have stepped up to the plate and provided uh, an avenue for people to buy fur uh, to, and for us trappers to sell fur. Their March auction was canceled, and then they reopened it as kind of an eBay-style auction. 
so it went on for about a week where people had the opportunity to bid on fur. Now, fur harvesters did set minimum prices. They set valuations, and uh, they they did not want this to be a fire sale to give fur away. Um, but they figured they give the opportunity for people to to purchase fur at a fair price. And if that didn't work, um, then then they'd wait and have an auction later on when this coronavirus stuff all kind of settles out. So as I record this, the auction is now over. But our uh, catalogs and our prices uh, for our furs that sold have not yet been updated. So I've been logging into my account here and there just checking. Sounds like early next week they should be updated. So uh, this is a press release from April 3rd, which is uh, the day before I record this. Uh, it's called Online Auction Update. Fur Harvester's online auction concluded at 1700 hours Eastern Standard Time, April 2nd, 2020. This was our first attempt at hosting an online auction, and it was put together in a very short time by a couple of very competent staff here at FHA. These are certainly unprecedented times, which called for unprecedented action in order to facilitate a way to get some goods sold for our shippers and supply product to the manufacturers. We valued all goods at levels we felt were realistic, and thresholds were established for each species to ensure all goods sold were within reason of our advertised sales. Going into this, it was apparent that a strong clearance on all species would not likely happen. As many wild fur articles are so varied that to expect buyers to take big buying positions and bid on large volumes of goods sight unseen was not very realistic. Also, several articles, and in some cases sections within individual articles, are very dependent on the buying power of Italy and Korea. Both these countries have been and continue to be hit very hard by the COVID-19 virus. The majority of the buying uh, of top section western coyotes has been dominated by the Italians for many years, as is the case with sables in Korea. We went into this 10-day online auction knowing that the top goods would be very difficult to sell sight unseen, and with important fur buying countries being in lockdown. This was the case for top western coyotes, sables, lynx cats, and lynx. However, Several articles did do very well on price and clearance. Beaver, eastern coyotes, big sizes of heavy raccoon, and commercial muskrats all sold well thanks to strong North American and Chinese support. Once the COVID-19 virus has subsided and the world opens up to travel, the global fur trade is solidly committed to attending our next auction. When, when this will be is a question I cannot answer at this moment. However, we did advertise a May 30th to June 2nd, 2020 auction, and this remains a possibility if the virus becomes manageable. If not, we would hope for a September auction, which has been strongly recommended by many of our top buyers. Our results will be posted early next week, and the sold lots in the catalog will be as well. What is the priority now is that we keep our, all keep ourselves and our loved ones safe, and when the world gets back to normal, so will our operation. Respectfully, Mark Downey, Chief Executive Officer for Harvester's Auction. So that's a little update. You can uh, log into your account next week and uh, stay tuned to get a, an idea of, of which of your furs sold and what they sold for. Um, I, I don't know what's what's all going to sell for me. I'm hoping the coyotes sold for a pretty decent price, but the rest of it, uh, you know, I can wait. I can wait to the next auction if I have to. So what's going on for me? Uh, I just did a little bit of under ice beaver trapping. That was kind of my thing for March uh, after getting back from the Alaska trip in February. And uh, 
set out uh, a few lodges here down by the river near the house. Uh, snowmobile from house uh, wasn't too bad, pretty close and uh, uh, pretty simple. Didn't go all out crazy or anything, but I had the chance to you know make a bunch of different sets, try out different things, and continue to learn uh, under ice beaver trapping. So so that was enjoyable. I had a lot of fun, and I finished up uh, handling uh, most all of those pelts. It's it's pretty incredible the how beautiful these these midwinter under ice beaver pelts are from northern Maine. Um, super dark, dark beavers and just beautiful, thick, thick, thick fur. It was amazing. The other advantage to to the under ice is that you don't seem to get the uh, the cuts and in the hide. Um, you know, in the springtime they start to fight and you have a higher uh, chance of, of getting, you know, beaver with cuts in the hide and, and other sort of damage. So uh, the, this was nice to, to be able to handle these furs. I, I mean, I just couldn't get over it, taking them off the boards and just like, man, this is this is an incredible pelt. And, and I hope that we can come to a point where they are, are again, once again, valued for what they're actually worth and somewhat closer to the amount of effort that's involved in producing them. But beautiful pelts nonetheless. I'm getting ready to do a little bit of spring beaver trapping here. Uh, in northern Maine, we are probably a couple of weeks ahead of schedule in terms of weather and snow melt. We probably have, uh, there are places where we still have two feet of snow in the woods, but out in the open, we're probably down to about a foot, foot and a half of snow in most places. It's been melting fast. It's been really warm the last week or so, week 10 days, and uh, it's been accelerating the melting process. So uh, it, it's been great weather to be outside and, and get around, and I think we're going to have an opportunity. Our beaver season runs to the end of April, and oftentimes we only get like the last 7 to 10 days of the month when, when the ice is actually out, and you can, you can really set some traps and catch some beaver at a high level of efficiency. And I believe, based on what I'm seeing now, is that we're going to get at least two weeks, uh, maybe two and a half weeks, to be able to do that this year based on on what the snow melt is looking like so I'm not really set up to do the big time spring trapping and everything um, I've never really done much of it it's always a busy time of year for me just like the fall is and the summer and so I, I spend more time in the under ice when it's not quite so busy but this year uh, it, it should be pretty decent um, I I just picked up some traps. I ordered a dozen TS-85s from Cotts Brothers Lures. They get the best prices, the best service, and uh, they are the distributors of, of the TS-85. So they shipped those right off to me. I got them just a few days after I ordered them, and uh, I've been I got them in here uh, setting them up. I actually put expander pans on half of them, and the other half I left the stock pans on them and. And uh, just kind of continuing, you know, maybe I'll continue to, to add to the, the arsenal of traps. And I think, you know, maybe next year I'll buy another dozen TS-85s and I'll do the same thing. You know, I, I, I like the expander pans, but I'm not a guy that, you know, use them for a season or, you know, catch 10 or 12 beaver and think that I, I know what I'm doing and I know whether, you know, they're better than the stock pans or worse than the stock pans. I kind of want to spend more time experimenting with that and see what what I actually like and what I believe works best for me. And so the uh, 
you know, I'll, I'll probably run approximately half expanded pans and half stock pans this season. I'm not going to go crazy, but I figure why not just uh, just go around. The the prices are so low. The there's one guy that always comes up in the spring to uh, to trap for a couple weeks this time of year, and he does extremely well. He's a really hard working trapper. I actually was hoping to interview him when he came up this spring, but I just heard that it sounds like he's not coming up. The fur prices are so low that uh, he just cannot cannot make the trip, cannot justify it. So there's people that are there's buyers that are making offers as low as two dollars and fifty cents for for uh, beaver pelts, you know, on just uh, green skinned beaver pelts. So that that does not attract uh, many trappers. Um, I I believe the price will rebound and we'll get through this. So I'm okay with still trapping a few, but I certainly wouldn't wouldn't go into uh, it too deep and go travel across the state and run a big line right now either. So I don't blame them. But with every uh, setback, there's an advantage, and the advantage here for me is that with these low prices, there is not going to be much competition. So I figure. There's a few places just nearby. I'll probably set uh, these dozen TS-85s out at different road crossings and locations um, that, that aren't too far of a drive from home. And it'll give me a chance to get out there and do some trapping. Uh, keep uh, Kind of get it out of my system, I guess. Uh, uh, keep going and have some fun. Uh, get a little more experience and continue to learn this spring beaver trapping. So that's kind of what I got going. I I've uh, been working with those traps. There really isn't much to do with them. The TSs, once in a while, you want to adjust the level of the pan. They come with pretty uh, well-adjusted pan tension. And what I mean by that is they're all very consistent with each other. But uh, I, I, I've been running a little lighter pan tension, like really light pan tension, because just the the guy. There's a guy that I know that runs TS85s runs uh, six or eight dozen of them and he runs very low pan tension and he really likes it so I'm gonna try that way so I I lightened them up a little bit and then I I brought them outside and I I did some spray painting um, to get get a get a coating of paint on them um, and get them drying out right now the next step uh, once I get those all ready to go gotta get tags on them and then just get my drowning rigs ready to go I got burlap bags I need to make up a bunch of uh, drowning cables with 330 seconds or uh, or eighth inch. I think I get eighth inch cable. Yeah, I get eighth inch cable. Uh, make a bunch of those and get them all set up um, and uh, and get my traps ready to hook right onto them and go. So should be fun. We still got too much snow and ice. I, I snowshoed down to the river today and uh, the, the, the side channels of the river are still frozen solid and the beavers are not moving from their houses. So there'll be a little bit of time yet, uh, probably another week at least, maybe a little more. But, uh, but yeah, we'll, get, we'll be going. We'll be going pretty soon. And the great thing is, even with this coronavirus, I feel bad for a lot of you guys. Um, that's not the great thing. Sorry, like Vince in Washington pulling, had to pull his traps because uh, of the governor's stay-at-home order. Our uh, governor has just instituted the stay-at-home or shelter-in-place order to prevent the spread of the virus. She did that earlier this week. Um, However, she made an exception for hunting, fishing, and trapping 
as long as you're maintaining social distancing, you can get outdoors and enjoy those activities. So uh, th- that was great to hear because I had just ordered the traps and I thought, oh man, I'm not even going to be able to trap now. And uh, they, they came out with some press releases uh, explaining how this order was going to be enforced and they encourage you to get outside. So I still will get the chance to trap. Uh, excited about that. And uh, it's good because a lot of people are going crazy with this stay-at-home stuff. Um, but it, it gets it gives somebody people the opportunity to to still get out. Now, upcoming episodes. Tonight's episode we have Nathan from Minnesota. This was a pretty awesome interview. Nathan is a listener to the podcast. Uh, he's been listening for over a year now, and he's a relatively new trapper. But he is trapping hard, getting a lot of stuff done, and learning a lot as he goes. Had a great conversation with him. It actually lasted a very long time. We talked for a couple hours. So I split it up into a few different segments. And we'll listen to the first 30 to 45 minutes tonight. Um, We talk about how he got started trapping and uh, his, you know, the thing, the type of trapping he likes to do. Talk a little bit about the coyote trapping and uh, under ice beaver, which he's been doing recently. Upcoming episodes, I probably won't play those all straight one after the other. I'll probably mix it up a little bit because I have a lot of other stuff to get to. So I have some really exciting interviews I think you guys are going to enjoy. In addition to Nathan, I talked uh, a couple of days ago with Nancy Becker, who is the used to be the wife of the late Bob Hart. Bob was a star in the TV show The Last Alaskans. A lot of you guys watch that show. If you don't watch it, you ought to be watching it. Um, get get on top of that. It's the best show on TV for a trapper. And uh, no drama, not no reality TV show uh, garbage. This is the real deal. And it follows uh, the lives of people running a trap line in interior Alaska. If you liked the stuff that I talked about when I was on, on my trap, trapping adventure in Alaska this winter I was right in the middle of that country that those people uh, on the show are featured in so it'll give you a chance to kind of see more of that same country and and uh, experience it through uh, television so a lot of people who watched the show fell in love with Bob he's a great guy and uh, a lot of people, myself included, really connected with him on an emotional level. So I interviewed Nancy. Uh, you know, Bob passed away from cancer while the show was still on. And uh, and there's, there's a big, long story there. But uh, I had the chance just recently to talk with Nancy. She's got uh, a DVD they put out of interviews with Bob, stories he told before he died. Um, I will, I'll give you, we'll talk about that quite a bit. And then she has a book coming out that she wrote based on her trapline experiences with Bob uh, out out in the, the woods, in the wilderness. So I talked with Nancy. She's just a great person to talk with and uh, got, got to dig in a little bit on, on her experiences and background, a little bit of behind-the-scenes stuff. And then, guys, I get a chance to interview Tyler Selden. Uh, Tyler and Ashley are also on the show, the, or were on the show, The Last Alaskans. They trap... Um, it, n- the next trap line uh, from where I was this winter um, north north of where I was trapping 
uh, Tyler and Ashley uh, trap out of several cabins up in that country. I won't get specific on exactly where, um, and neither does the show. They try to respect the you know the privacy of people by not really getting into detail on the locations, but pretty pretty awesome uh, area and great people. I really loved watching them on the show. They're uh, running running trap lines with dogs and uh, uh, younger people that recently got into it. And recently, I say recently, like the last 10, 12 years, kind of the next generation of people living out in the bush and very few people are doing what they're doing now. So I had the chance to talk with Tyler. He's a really great guy and, and I enjoyed that very much. Um, so uh, I, I'll, I'll have part of that as well in a future episode. So we'll go back and forth. Got lots to talk about. There's never seems to be a problem finding things to talk about in uh, this whole Trapping Today podcast. There are a million subjects and, and topics uh, to get into. Um, and we'll just keep plugging away and uh, enjoying things, enjoying what we're doing. Um, I certainly enjoy it. And you can always email me with questions or suggestions or thoughts, feedback, whatever. jrodwood at gmail.com. All right, let's get into the show. From Minnesota, right? That I am. <laughs> and uh, a trapper from another northern state. It's always good to, to talk with a guy that uh, deals with snow and ice like I do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's all we deal with up here, it seems. We finally got some warm weather up here uh, this past weekend where it got up to like 40 degrees and I felt like I was out flushing beavers and a t-shirt and should have been wearing shorts <laughs> so how's your season been <clears throat> it's been pretty good uh our fall was not so great it was really really wet so the canine trapping was hard because it was hard to keep sets going and dry and we ended up just using hay mountain sets which helped a lot um which, if you don't know what a hay mound set is, it's just a big pile of really finely chopped up hay, and you put a trap underneath it, so the coyote, and then put lure underneath all the hay, so the coyotes come up and they move around the hay trying to figure out what's under there, and they don't seem to care as much about, um, like, having a trap bedded well, and uh, so if it moves around, they don't really care. So we just use drags doing that. So how much hay do you usually have over top of the trap? Um, well, so what we'll do is we'll pile up like probably a spot of like two feet by two feet. So just big circle mm -hmm. of just regular hay, like just take it out of a bale. And then we'll take and uh, we'll take a couple handfuls of the hay and we'll sift it over the trap. Okay, so you put the trap on top of that mound and then sift that hay over top of the trap? Correct. Okay. Huh. Yeah. And then, <clears throat> that way we don't have to, you know, do anything with frozen ground because everybody who's dealt with that knows that it's the worst thing in the world. Yeah, it sure is, especially when it's <laughs> wet and it freezes and thaws. Oh, it's such yeah. a mess. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's pretty cool. I'll have to try that set out up here sometime. I've never, I've never used it. Actually, I've kind of heard it mentioned before, but I've, I've never really thought much about it. So. Yeah, I, uh, I had a friend actually, 
who I went to school in Ely, Minnesota, for uh, a little bit, which is in the northwest corner or northeast corner, and uh, he used Haymon sets for Red Fox because up there we don't we all we have is wolves and Red Fox. We don't get no we don't get coyotes. Okay. Nope. So the wolves pretty much run the show. And the red fox, but there's so many red fox. Like, it's, it was crazy living up there. You'd see, if if you didn't see one red fox in a day just driving around, it was very, very unusual. So, when trapping season came around, we all ran our beaver lines, of course, because it's northern Minnesota. And then we ran... Um, our red fox line and we caught oh I'm trying to think I think between the three of us guys that were trapping and we caught 100 to 120 red fox wow so we we did pretty well um, we were all kind of guys who got started when we were younger so we had you know we had a little bit of a arsenal of traps built up right and so we all just kind of put it together and we would work up fur outside of our apartment building on the college campus <laughs> and uh you know you get half of the people that are start asking what you're doing and then you get half of the people that are yelling at you for it sure <laughs> but it worked um, and up there, it's a Ely is a small super town. small town. Yeah. yeah, like super small. It's maybe I think in the winter there's probably six hundred to eight hundred people. Amazing! It has a college. Yeah. Right. And then, but in the um, in the summer months, it's such a tourist destination that we never have like an actual population. It's just however many people are coming and going through town, going to the Boundary Waters. Okay, so it's it's kind of the, the entrance of the Boundary Waters? Yep, yep. Okay. And, and then, For guys that don't know, that's like a really popular canoeing uh, area, right? It's like a wilderness, oh, yeah. wilderness area in northern Minnesota? Yep, yep. That's the, they say it's the last untouched area in the, in the lower contiguous 48 states. Right on. Um, they, so then, uh, a little, I guess a little backstory on me. Yeah. How about, um, you want to get, get us in, uh, a little background on how you got started trapping from the yeah, very beginning. Yeah, absolutely. So actually I was 11 and my godfather trapped, um, here, if I remember correctly, he trapped coons, mink, and beaver. And I'm from southeastern Minnesota, so we don't get very many beavers around. Definitely so like when farm country, right, right. Okay. And uh, so I went with him once, and we caught. I think I remember we caught like a handful of possums, and two raccoons, and a skunk, and. Maybe a feral cat or two. I don't remember. But 
I remember like walking up to those sets and just being starstruck. I mean, just like, how in the world does this work? So I, a couple years went by and I had a buddy who uh, graduated with my older brother and he called me up and he said, hey, I just got into this trapping thing. Do you want to come with me? And I was like, yeah, sure. Anything to get outdoors. Like, I love hunting. I love fishing. Whatever I can do to stay outside a little more, I'll do it. And um, so I went out with him, and he trapped raccoons, mink, and muskrats. And um, he showed me how to use muskrat floats and how to make pocket sets and where to put a blind set in and stuff like that. So the following year, I took the trapping safety in Minnesota and got my um, got my certificate and everything, and bought my bought myself uh, I think six dog proofs, a dozen one and a halfs, and a dozen one tens. Yeah. And I feel like that's like for somebody who's starting out, that's like the perfect water trapping arsenal and if you so. have be- yeah. if if you have beavers in your area then you know a couple 330s or sure. you know a couple number threes or number fours or whatever but um that was perfect for us and so that whole summer all i did was sit and tinker with my traps <laughs> getting ready for trapping season yeah and <laughs> at that at that time you know i had two and a half dozen traps so it was like maybe a couple hours of doing stuff. And it was like, oh, yeah, I'm done. Well, then now I'm running. Shoot, I was just out checking beaver snares this morning uh, under ice. And I caught nine. Nice. And I have 24 lodges set up. So my numbers are... No, <laughs> nope. And I, I work. I actually deliver pizzas at night. <laughs> and you go so, to college, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And I'm a full time college student, so um, I a lot of times I'm checking in the dark. Yeah. I am. I'm out in the mornings before class, and then like every opportunity I can, I am check-in or resetting stuff like that and actually this year i um in the fall i i got very fortunate and uh i only had classes in the afternoon yeah so i had nice oh yeah i had all morning to do whatever i want (laughs) i wish it was over well yeah there's parts of it that you wish were over but when it's over you think oh that free time was awfully nice (laughs) oh yeah I believe it. But, uh, yeah, it was, this fall was awesome. Like, uh, I have a, my girlfriend lives, I I now live in Bemidji. And um, my girlfriend is from Bemidji, born and raised. And when I moved up here, her and I were talking and I was like, I, you know, I like to trap. Um, I would like to get you into trapping. And she was just like, I don't want to, but, yeah. and she's an, out, she's an outdoorsy girl. She likes to hunt and she likes to fish and 
all that stuff. So I was like, whatever. And didn't, didn't push it on her or nothing. And I finally convinced her one day I was checking my canine line and she comes out with me and she's riding along and it was early. So she's sleeping in the passenger seat and I'm running around checking sets. And we pulled up on this beautiful Northern Minnesota coyote, just a really light colored, really dense fur and a big, big male. And she wakes up and she looks out the windshield and she goes, Oh my gosh, that's a coyote. And I was like, (laughs) And I'm like, like yeah, that's what we're after. That, yeah, that that's what I'm going for. And she, it, and she just like, I we walked up there, and of course, you know, people who don't trap would see the catch circle on a coyote, and they would stay far, far away from it, and they'd be terrified. I mean, it's a big, mean-looking dog. And the funniest part was, I've caught somewhere like but i started canine trapping when i was 16 and i think between then and now i've caught around probably 150 to 200 coyotes and um she that was the first coyote i i had ever caught that was vocal really yeah like out of all the coyotes that i had ever caught yeah, I had never had, you know, every once in a while you'd get one that does like the little challenge, like the huff. Right. Yeah. But I never had one that would like howl and bark and stuff. And it's, it was funny cause I got out of the car and she got out of the car really slow. And as soon as her feet hit the ground, that thing started howling <laughs> and she was, she was hooked. I mean, hook, line and sinker done. And she i walked up to the edge of the catch circle and i had her take a picture of me sitting next to the coyote and um i helped her i told her since there's a remake i didn't really i'm not really a big on on my first set i'm really careful with scent control but if i catch one it's i mean i'll wear gloves when i put my trap in the ground and then when i'm doing bait i'll take my gloves off and stuff but I'm not super concerned on like if my knees are touching the ground. Right, and... A bomb of coyote scent just went off in that circle. Right, right. And so I told her, I was like, "Here, we'll pull this trap. We're gonna put it right on the edge of the catch circle, and I'll teach you how to put one in the ground." And so we're we're using MB 550s here in Minnesota. I really, really like minnesota trapland products i think they're great guys and um i actually bought i know that you guys are or your podcast is sponsored by the cots bros yep and i bought uh, the black book of coyote trapping yeah and that is the best book on earth <laughs> yeah i i agree i mean for for a guy that's looking for just a complete rundown on coyote trapping um i think that's the best the best resource that's out there right now for you know just straight basic to the point information right and it's not too long it's you know some of the some of the books are just they're too much yeah they're it's too much information especially for somebody who is starting out it's just so much that it's hard to pinpoint 
what is truly necessary and what is the most the more advanced side of that yeah yeah and when you're um, getting started out you know you're not trying to catch that last coyote in the litter and you know animal damage work and and all that you're just you're just trying to understand the basics and uh, right you're you're trying to understand the behavior is really what it comes down to the behavior of the stupid ones of the pack <laughs> those are the uh what the 80 percent um yeah yep those are the ones we want to catch when we get started yeah and uh so i i picked that book up from cots bros and it was actually kind of funny because i picked it up because of listening to your podcast and having i mean i've probably heard you talk about the black book of coyote trapping in your podcast like 20 times probably yeah (laughs) and 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 i'm like i'm like all right there has to be something to this so i picked it up and i oh my goodness it was like i couldn't put it down and i just kept and i was i had a highlighter and i'm highlighting stuff in there (laughs) and my girlfriend thought that i was going nuts she she was just like it's a it's a trapping book how can it like you don't do that to you with your college books Right, right. <laughs> and and, and uh, she's like, you know, if you put half of the work that you do into coyote trapping <laughs> and beaver trapping that you do into school, you'd be, oh my goodness, you'd be the smartest guy on earth. And I was like, well, you know what? I'd rather catch coyotes. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but she, um, she's super awesome and she's super supportive of everything and actually we um after she caught that she caught a red fox the next day after that sorry sorry to backtrack we kind of got off on a tangent but um after we caught that coyote the following day we caught a red fox in that same same set and so you know brought her out to check the traps and she comes out with me and catches a red fox and dispatched it and i told her i was like you know the prices aren't that great um this year but i'm just gonna get it tanned and we'll just i'll tan it and then we'll keep it and when we move out of our apartment and we get a house we'll put it up on the wall Uh and she was just so excited and you see, it's kind of funny because now I've, I think I've introduced probably three or four people into trapping. And every time that you do introduce somebody to trapping, there is a sparkle in their eye. Yes. And it starts, um, oh, it starts an obsession is what it does. And it's so it's such a cool thing to have somebody, you know, who's never done it. But, and even if they, I mean, when I lived in Ely, we had a kid that was, he lived in our like townhome unit and he had never, he had never been hunting. He had never been fishing. He was from Minneapolis and we brought him out on the trap line and I have never seen anyone get hooked so fast in my life. (laughs) and and he's just like wait so this is what you guys this is how it goes like you guys use traps that don't have teeth and your snares aren't on poles that are bent over and fling the animal in the air 
And we were all like, uh, yeah. And he's like, well, the media kind of portrays that that's what it is. And we were, we all just kind of started laughing. And, you know, in this, in this day and age, we as trappers are so under the gun all the time, you know? And I mean, hearing from you, you have, uh, you know, some of your restrictions on traps that you have in Maine. We are super lucky in Minnesota. Really? We have all, I mean. Yeah, cause as, I was going to ask you that because you have links there as well. And, and there's been talk about trying to do some of the things that have, that have been done in Maine. Yep. So in the northeast corner, we can use, uh, I'm trying to think, The our snares have to be uh, a certain distance off the ground. So, you know, they're like 10 inches off the ground or whatever. If we're trying to catch coyotes or, fo- or, or fox, that's fine. Yeah. And, but we have to have, um, there, there can't be anything to obstruct the snare. So we can't, like, if there's a little tree around, we can't no, have anything no next to it. Correct. Okay. Yeah, that that's the word I was thinking of. And, uh, but it's, I know we never snared when I lived in Ely. And so we never really worried about it because by the time that the ice came, we were, all we were doing was beaver trapping through the ice. Yeah. And, um, so that was really what we, and we didn't snare on dry land anyway. We would just use MB 550s and, that or we did use mb 450s for a little bit when i lived in ely and they are oh my god i i have not found a single uh minnesota brand trap that i do not like yeah like i yeah yeah the fourth but you catch a i mean back home i went back you had tons of foxes there right you were targeting fox right right but that was the nice thing was the mb 550s even the ones that you know some of us had from coyote trapping where they were four coiled they never hurt one of those foxes yeah never once i mean there was never any foot damage there was no bones that broke and i mean we caught we caught possums up there too that you catch them in a 550, they're not, A, they're not going to go anywhere, and B, there is no damage. It does not hurt them. And that's the best part to me. And I've, I've trapped with other traps. You know, obviously when I started, I bought a dozen Duke one and a half. You get what you can afford. Yeah. Right. But now that I'm a little older, and I actually started raccoon trapping during that 2013-2014. Oh, the boom. Yeah. Nice. And you have a good coon there, don't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so we, I remember my brother and I trapped for a weekend, and we caught five. Caught five coons and brought them in, and we got $125. Wow. And it was like mind-blowing <laughs> yeah somebody and, just paid me to enjoy myself out in the woods right and so we were so excited and of course the following i think it was like the following day or the following weekend we got snow 
So all the coons denned up, and they were like, nope, we're not doing anything anymore. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't catch any more. And then the following year, we had pretty good prices, like 18 to $20 a piece. And then the following year, you couldn't sell one for more than 10 bucks. Mm. And it was just like, it was so quick up and down. And that's kind of what I've learned with the whole fur market is it's so up and down that no matter what you do, you're going to have something that's, you know, it's going to go down. As soon as you try to sell, it's going to go down. <laughs> that that's that's pretty much like the the thought process and so we just started where we would a lot of ours we tan and then we sell them on taxidermy websites and you know places like that and that seems to you know we're making a little bit more money and then our high quality for we'll send to fha yeah and um Actually, I caught a beaver. I'll have to send you a picture of it. Uh, I caught a beaver a couple weeks ago that was like mid-60 pound through the ice and uh, on a baited snare pole. And actually, I learned how to use a baited snare set from your YouTube videos. You're kidding. No. No, from the, that's, that's awesome. I was going to ask you uh, a little later on, like your style, how you how you like to set them up. But I guess I already know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, I I really like how you do it. And then there's situationally, if it's a really shallow, like really shallow pond, and there's not a lot of room to work with. Um, I don't know if you have you ever watched uh, Three Thirty Maniacs channel? Yes, a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so he makes, with his baited snares, he just does the uh, the dead pole with the live chunks yep. wired on there. And that seems to really work if it's really shallow water. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that it's just like you got that little bunch of food sitting there, and then there's a couple inches of water between the mud and the bottom of the snare, and then there's only a couple inches of water from the bottom of the ice to the top of the snare so they don't really have anywhere to go Mm -hmm. besides into into the snare and that that's pretty cool like i when i lived in ely we trapped beavers under the ice with 330s and so we would take a chunk of poplar and wire it to the trigger put them down on a pole on a dead pole and that worked pretty well because there wasn't anybody who trapped up (laughs) in ely like nobody was nobody was dumb enough to go out and under ice beaver trap right and um now up here there's a couple other guys that i've seen that are trapping under the ice but everybody uses conibears and are they using uh, blind sets as much as they're using baited sets, or is there a preference? Yes. I, th- I think from what I have seen up here, it is mostly uh, blind sets in the runs. Yeah, that's pretty much what it is here. In the runs and, uh, like, on the edges of the feed pile. Um, yeah. And sometimes guys will set 
Um, I never felt confident in this set, but it does work. Uh, going from the dam, uh, as you know how the dam kind of slopes down going into the beaver pond where the beavers dug out that portion to, to make the dam. Right, yep. where, right where that meets the bottom, like where it starts to flatten out, they'll, oh, they'll yeah. travel right along that bottom edge. And just a, a 330 set along that edge works well, too. Huh. I but, guess I, I had never heard it. Um, I'm just that, never but... that confident that I can find it. And I'm like, I'm, I'm always worried that my trap's not in the exact right spot, you know. But uh, right. But it does catch beaver. Huh. Well, it's good to... Good to hear about that because there's, you know, you get some of these trap shy beavers that they don't even seem to want to stick their head up out of the water. Yeah. You know, they're just, they go from the lodge to the feed pile and back. And so they won't come to a snare pole. They won't. And a lot of the times, like the beavers I'm trapping up here, I'm doing it for people that want them gone. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a double whammy helping somebody out and Put yourself out of business <laughs> correct yeah. and so it's kind of like i mean on we have the mississippi river that runs straight through town here and there will always be beavers on the mm. river yeah always and <clears throat> so you could i mean you could spend three months in the fall or three months in the spring busting your butt trying to catch every single beaver within 10 miles of bemidji and you wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. You know, there's always going to be that one that is going to kick your butt or that, you know, in the, in how wide that area is that 10, that's going to kick your butt. And, um, I had one that would, um, I, I had a baited snare pull down and I, this was right when I first started using snares this year. And, I did the chunks of poplar with the dead pole and everything. And, I mean, these were poles that I had cut down in the fall and let them dry out mm -hmm. till now. And this beaver would not eat the poplars. He would eat the dead pole. Hmm. Like, would completely ignore the poplars. And would just chew off the bottom quarter of my pole. And then he would just, I don't know if he took it and he was using it to rebuild the or the lodge or what he was doing, but it drove me crazy. <laughs> and I could not figure it out. And then I had a, uh, I just took a live poplar and I did your set where we, you know, there's the two tiers. And I put that down, and I caught him on the first day. Nice. And it was like, I don't know if he was just super interested in the the part that was going, but you know, in between the top of the ice and the bottom, or what he was doing, but he was kind of odd. And when I scun him out, it was actually kind of funny when I, I was showing a buddy how to skin a beaver and got to the head and there was no in like on the bridge of the nose there was no flesh or fat or anything in between the skin and the nose hmm. there was nothing and i i like to think that i'm pretty good at skinning beavers now like i've done a few of them and um 
I have never put so many slip holes in the face of a beaver. Hmm. Like, I should have just cut it off at the bridge of the nose. Yeah. It was so thin. I don't know if it's from fighting or what it was from, but there was nothing there. Like, it was bare bone and skin. Hmm. Strange. And uh, we get a lot of really dark beavers up here. Yeah, we do too. And they tend to be a lot darker than most other places up here. I I love it. The dark, like, have you ever caught a jet black one? I've not, no. When I lived in Ely, we caught one that was black. Like, Sharpie marker black. <laughs> and Did you keep that one? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Uh, I think my buddy actually has it uh, tanned, and it's in his living room of his house. And um, it was just like we walked up on it, and it was in a 330, and we were just looking at it, and both of us were kind of like, oh, it must just have some mud on it or whatever. And we washed it off, we brought it back up to the truck and put it next to another one that we had caught. And we were like, oh, my gosh, that is black. <laughs> like, that is dark. And we, I mean, it was just a very pretty, and it was that glossy jet black, oh, you know, yeah. just just so pretty. Um, and we were so excited. I mean, and we caught quite a few beavers that year, and that was by far the highlight. So you're liking the snare setup. Uh, you're using the same the the same 564 cable and the cam locks and you're liking that yes yeah i uh i started with a micro lock and um if anyone out there is listening and hasn't snared before start with a cam lock do not start <laughs> with a micro lock it has a time and a place for it under ice beaver snaring is not the time and place for a micro lock i i I think that the cam lock, a, a cam lock with teeth in it is going to outperform any lock that you can put on a snare, in my opinion. Obviously, there's going to be people that are going to, you know, say that they really like a micro lock or they really like a washer lock or, you know, any other 150 kinds of snare locks that you can buy. And every situation is different, you know. Uh, under, Correct. When you're underwater, it's a whole different ball game. Um, Correct. And actually, I uh, I used loaded snares at first. Yeah. Like, I, I, w I would load them myself. And I had so many times where I would come to pull up my beaver snares and they'd be pulled down, and I would have no beavers. And so I was like, you know what, I'm gonna. Yeah, they're probably fired when you set when you set them in uh, under the ice. Yep. <laughs> and and so I would come back, and my pole would be chewed in half, and no beavers. And I would just get so frustrated. And I called one of my friends who does a little bit of under the ice beaver snaring, and he said, he's like, he's a big, he he really likes loaded snares. Like, he, for his coyote and fox snares, he double loads them. I mean, you you blow on them, and they're going to fall down. Mm -hmm. And uh, he told me, he's like, this is contradicting to everything I've ever said to you. Do not load your snares. And I didn't load them, and I started, my catch rate went up tenfold. And it was 
amazing to me how you know it when you're dry land snaring you want that thing to fall at the slightest touch yeah well with beavers they're spinning around that pole so much that they don't care well they see that they can they can just move a little water with their tail and fire that snare not even touch it right and they're they move they're moving so much that it's i mean they see that snare no matter what anybody says a beaver sees that snare every time and i think that he just doesn't care i think he goes through it and he's just like well it must be something hanging off of here but i mean how many how many times i don't i guess i don't know about maine if you guys have do you guys have a lot of farm fields where you're um, from not a whole lot we're kind of on the edge of the farm country where i live gotcha so up here we get a lot of cornfields and bean fields while a beaver kind of acts like a fox or coyote and it's always going through fences to get to the cornfields yeah we don't have that yeah that'd be interesting though trapping them on land yeah i've snared a couple on on dry land it's kind of i don't know beavers make these paths and then you end up catching just a ton of raccoons on them and then you'll catch one beaver but i like to snare them on dry land i just like that i don't have to dry them out before (laughs) i skin them because it's kind of a pain but um up you know now with all the snow all you do is pull them out of the ice shift them around in the snow a little bit yeah and they're good you know they're dried out and they're ready to go and um it's kind of, uh, it's a different, it's a whole different ball game when you're snaring under the ice. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like, um, I don't know the word that I'm trying to think of, but, uh, it's surreal when you walk up to a baited pole set and you grab onto the top of that pole and you wiggle it a little bit, and mm-hmm. it just goes straight to the side, <laughs> and you know that there's a beaver in there. And you chip that sucker out, and you pull it up, and sure enough, there's a beaver on that bottom snare, or there's a beaver on the top snare. And it's so cool. I have yet to catch a double yeah, on I, one pull. I got one last year. It was that would, a, a big oh, one. That would be kit, so cool. And it was, it was deep. It was like, because uh, usually they'll mess up all four snares when when you catch when one. When they get caught, right. This one had, I had three tiers of snares, and I caught, I, I think the first one I caught up top, right under the ice, it was going to cut the pole. I caught oh, it, yeah. and, then, and then I caught a kit in the bottom, uh, the bottom tier. So I think oh, cool. catching way up top there, was like I said, I think I mentioned it was like five feet of water between the ice between the bottom of the ice and and the bottom of the stream and uh there was enough space there where that beaver messed up the top four snares but he he couldn't get to the bottom two. Oh yeah yeah so, but that's almost never happens i mean right well and i'm sure you know they freak out so much that most of the time that spot where your pole's broken is from them chewing on it and then they freak out so they snap it off and um 
so it'll snap it halfway. And up here, we're lucky. We get a lot of clay. And uh, so when so you, you... You can shove that right into the mud pretty good, huh? Oh, yeah. And it's not going to move. And that's super nice. Like, I've had... Um, I had one time where I had a beaver that was chewing. He would come up and he would chew right in the middle of my two tiers of snares. And he would break it in half. Well, I ended up catching him on the bottom half. And I am, there's no, obviously no way to prove it, but I'm 90% sure that he chewed that sucker in half. And then that bottom part was stuck in the mud so good that he went around to chew on that part and and he got caught. caught. (laughs) And so it was like, and this was like three days in a row where he chewed off my poles at the same spot. Yeah, because like people people may not understand that you know the beaver's not trying to eat when he's chewing on the pole. He's trying to take it back to the lodge. So right. He wants to cut it off first, first of all, and then the the only question is whether you can catch him before he gets it cut off. Right. And uh, that's uh, one oh one thing that I tried this year that I couldn't really tell if I was just getting lucky or if it was working well but i would take uh you know you cut you cut down a a live pole and um you get that top section that's pretty flimsy and so what i did was i took three top sections from poles that i had cut and i wired them together and used them as one baited pole and it worked pretty well i mean I caught a couple. Uh, it wasn't like terrific, mm-hmm. but it was, I mean, in a pinch, it, it'll work. Yeah. Huh. And, uh, it was just kind of like, I was thinking about it and I was like, I don't use these top parts of my snares or uh, of my, poles, my snare yeah. poles. Yep. And so I was like, how can I, uh, you know, how, how can I make this work a little better for me? And, uh, how can I be a little bit more efficient? And that was the biggest thing that I could think of is use the top parts in the shallow sets. And so that worked pretty well. And, uh, I've been saving caster from all of my beavers. And I, I think I'm going to buy the encyclopedia of bait making. Yeah. And, uh, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to try my hand at making some predator bait for this year. Nice. Yeah. He's got a good formula in there. Yeah. And, uh, I've heard that, uh, I've never used beaver tail oil for canines. Mm -hmm. I've never used it at all. And so this year I saved all my tails and I've got them all cut up and put in jars so that summer I can make them smell like death. (laughs) And, uh, I was, yeah, I was thinking about it and like, to me, you know, a lot of, a, a lot of baits are beaver meat based or bobcat meat based and, um, so I saved a bunch of carcasses and I got them all ground up and put a little bit of a uh, sodium benzoate in there. And I'm just kind of, I got it sitting in the corner of my uh, storage unit and they're just 
I'm going to see what happens, and if they smell like death in the fall, then I'll, <laughs> then I probably maybe will use it, and yeah. if they don't, then I probably won't, and I'll just dump it out and snare over it in the fall or in the winter next year for coyotes. Hey, hope you guys enjoyed that. We will continue with uh, my conversation with Nathan in a future episode. Had a lot of fun with that, and uh, it's great getting the chance to talk with different trappers from all over the country. Uh, Like-minded people that uh, really, I mean, it's our tribe, right? You know, it's people just like us. So thanks again, Nathan. And uh, guys, why don't you check out my book, Fur Profit, Trapper's Guide to the Modern Fur Market. If you haven't gotten that already, I would greatly appreciate you purchasing a copy of that. And stay tuned. I've got that Walter Arnold book coming up uh, shortly, shortly. Still working on it, but I'm getting closer every day. So, all right, we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for tuning in. Love you guys. Bye.